0: All right, we'll be in John chapter 20 this morning. We are now examining the events surrounding Jesus' resurrection in our overall study through the gospel according to John. And we'll begin this morning in John chapter 20 by reading verses 11 through 18. The Bible says, But Mary stood without at the sepulchre weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus.' Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I am ascended unto my Father, and your Father, and to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that He had spoken these things unto her. Amen. So I believe it's beneficial to try to get this scene in our mind as we think about Mary standing here at the empty tomb weeping. She and Mary, the mother of James the Less, and Salome, the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, have come to Jesus' tomb early in the morning. They are there to anoint His dead body with spices. And it means this, that they are not expecting to find a resurrection. They're expecting to find a body in the tomb. When they arrive at the tomb, they find that the stone has been rolled away. The body of Jesus is missing. And Mary's immediate assumption is that someone has stolen the body of Jesus. And so in a panic, she runs to Peter and John and she tells them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid Him. So Peter and John take off running to the sepulcher and when they get there, they find Mary is telling the truth. There is no body of Christ. But there's no connection in their mind either. They're not thinking resurrection. Verse 9 says, For as yet they knew not the Scripture that He must rise again from the dead. And in verse 10, the men return home. And it's just interesting to me. There's no point to this particular thing that I'm about to say, but it's interesting to me that the men have now left the women there alone. I just find that interesting. Why aren't they comforting these ladies or something? I mean, they're not even having a conversation, it appears, and I would think just the death of a loved one would be enough to be there and be, try to be comforting. And certainly the, the chaos of Jesus' body being missing. But they leave the ladies there nonetheless. Maybe the men are too fearful. It was far more dangerous for the men than it was for the women. You were much more likely as a man to be arrested and, and crucified, of course, than as a woman would be. So maybe they just don't want to be seen in public. And perhaps everyone's emotions are so scrambled in this time of crisis that nobody's really thinking straight, and they're all just internalizing everything, trying to figure out what has happened. So whatever the case, the women are now at the tomb alone. And in Luke's account, it states that they were much perplexed. And I think we can imagine them having some anxiety here over what has taken place. And we're going to focus on John. There's a lot that we could try to piece together as we look at the other Gospels, but John zeroes in on Mary Magdalene. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And here she is. She's standing at the tomb of Jesus weeping. Now understand, Jesus was a very controversial figure. He was hated by the religious Jews. Some people loved him. Some people were on the fence. He was. He would die a violent death and being scourged and crucified. And so being hated, maybe not sure where people stand, being loved. I can imagine there's all kind of thoughts and theories running through her mind on what happened to Jesus' body. Where did it go? Who's responsible for this? And so she's standing at this tomb weeping. But who is Mary Magdalene? Because I think if we're really going to try to understand the emotions that are going through her, At this time, it's probably worthwhile to quickly think about who she was. Well, don't hold me to this. I didn't have time to research it all the way out. But I believe that outside of Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene is the most mentioned woman in the New Testament by name, certainly in our Gospels. And she's mentioned more by name then some of the apostles are mentioned by name. She is a central figure in our gospel accounts. At the end of Matthew 15, the Bible says that Jesus came into the coast of Magdala. That was a town located on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, about midway up. If you have that kind of pictured in your mind, my wife's probably thinking of California or something because she knows nothing about geography. And so, yeah, it's okay if we laugh, hey, amen, uh, <laughs> do the horse laugh <clears throat> um, and so Jesus comes into Magdala and Luke tells us Mary was called Magdalene Magdalene was not her last name amen they didn't use last names like we do but they called her Magdalene because it identified where she was from and it separated her from the other Marys there was just too many Marys Amen. we have like five or six mics in this church amen we have A New Underwood, we have a Southern Hills, a Central Hills, a Rapid City. I mean, that's what we're going to start calling them, amen, so that we can identify who these men are. And so Mary was such a common name that they just called her Magdalene, and to identify where she was from. So it's likely that when Jesus went to Magdala, it's likely that's where he would have met Mary Magdalene. Luke is also the one who lets us know that Mary Magdalene was one who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities and that out of Mary went seven devils. And Mark 16.9 makes it clear that Jesus is the one who had cast these devils out of her. Certainly one demon would be bad enough. Imagine seven. Jesus spoke about how an evil spirit that is cast out If the body isn't filled with God, seven other spirits more wicked than the first will enter in and dwell, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. And here she is with seven devils. She was in a terrible condition before she met Christ. As a result of these evil spirits, the Bible says she had infirmities, which means she was diseased, she was very sick. She was left without strength both in her mind and body. And every day of her life, she would have been grievously tormented by these evil spirits. But there came a day that she met Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Whoop. Amen. And He healed her and her life was turned upside down. And she became one of the most faithful followers of Christ in your Bible. She was a humble woman. And throughout Jesus' ministry, she would be with Him. She owed everything to Jesus. And because of this, in Luke chapter 8 and verse 3, it says, she was one of the women who ministered unto Him of their substance. Which means whatever resources she had, whatever money she had, she was using that to further Jesus' ministry along. She was there to help Him in His travels. You see, she was so thankful for what Jesus had done for her, she wanted others to experience what Jesus could do for them. And so she was there to give of her substance. But she also gave of her life. She's mentioned in Matthew 27, 55, as being one of the women who had followed Jesus from Galilee throughout His ministry. Ministering unto Him, the Bible says. Meaning this, she waited upon Him. She served Him. She made sure that He was taken care of as He traveled. And she was there, we find, every step of the way. She's there on crucifixion day. She was there when Joseph and Nicodemus put Jesus in the tomb. She was there this morning to anoint the body of Jesus. She was the one that ran back to tell the disciples. And she's been there the whole time, and no wonder Jesus is going to use her to be the first to see Him as the resurrected Lord. This is an amazing woman. It's not going to be Peter. It's not going to be James or John, or any of the other apostles. But our Lord is going to show Himself first to Mary of Magdala. This is just an amazing woman. She's an example both to women and men of what it looks like to faithfully serve our Lord out of gratitude for all that He's done for us. Seven evil spirits living inside of her. Now her life's been changed and she's giving everything to God. You see, knowing how much Mary Magdalene loved the Lord, how much she gave to Him, how much she served Him and ministered unto Him, following through Him throughout His ministry, we can understand why she's there weeping at the tomb. She misses her Lord. Can you imagine what she must have been going through? And in all of her confusion, she, the Bible says she looks again into the sepulcher. Here she is, she's she's weeping, she's bewildered, trying to make sense of all that is going on, and she looks again into the sepulchre as if somehow his body is going to be there the second time she looks. Maybe you've been in that kind of emotional state before. She cannot find him. She's hoping maybe there's a mistake, and she looks again, but she knows this she has to find him. Do you understand where her heart's at? She must find Christ. He had been too important to her to not try to find Him. And she's not going to rest content until He is found. And can I tell you this morning, by way of spiritual application, the absence of Christ in your life ought to cause a great distress to you. Amen. It ought to cause sorrow. We ought not to go a moment without Christ. Those of you who are lost and don't understand it all, you don't want to die without Christ. He is preferred above everything in this world. And if we ever sense that we have lost His presence here, if we ever sense that we have gotten our eyes off of Christ and we have lost track of Him, then we ought to earnestly seek for Him until we are back in a close fellowship with Him again. He's done too much for us. Now, how do we search for Him today? Well, we do through His Word. Amen. And if we are going to find Him in our moments of distress and confusion, then we must go to the Word of God. You say, but I've tried and it didn't work. I haven't found Him yet. I've looked in the church house. I've looked to other disciples. I've looked in the Word of God. And you know what? It's been all to no avail. I want to tell you, friend, look again. Look again. Look, Mary had already looked into the sepulcher. She had already looked. She didn't find what she was looking for. But you know what? She looks again. And in the same place as she looked before, this time something's different. And isn't it true in our lives that sometimes we go to the Word of God and a passage may not have as much weight to it as it does in our time of crisis? What's happened? We've gone back to it again. And so you may have said, well, look, I've already tried looking in the Sepulchre. Look again. Just keep going back to the Word of God until you find Him. And this time she does see something different. She sees two angels, one sitting at the head, one sitting at the feet of where the body of Jesus had been laid to rest. And these angels say unto Mary, Woman, why weepest thou? And how comforting that our God would send angels to minister unto us. I don't understand all that. I'm not very versed when it comes to angelology, amen? But I know what Hebrews 1.14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? God will send angels to minister in our time of need. Hebrews 12.22 says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. I'm so glad that God ministers to us when we will seek the Lord with all of our heart. Amen. Now, because of some false teachings, I need to tell you this. Angels are not to be worshipped. We are not to pray unto them. We're not to revere them. In the revelation, John fell down to worship before the feet of an angel who had showed him some things. And the angel said to John, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant. So we don't worship angels. But these two angels, they ask Mary why she is weeping. What a strange question to ask in a cemetery. I mean, you would think one place to find weeping would be a burial place. Woman, why are you weeping? Now, they're not saying woman in a bad way. It's more like ma'am. But, you know... (laughs) Why are you weeping? Well, this would be a place, I think, to find weeping. But they know that there's no cause to weep since Jesus has already risen again. Of course, Mary doesn't understand this yet. And in her confusion, she doesn't even see these two as heavenly messengers, but she only sees them as as two men. And through her tears, she replies, Because they have taken my Lord, and I know not where they have laid Him. Doesn't your heart just break for Mary? This this account here stirs up a lot of emotions in me as I think about what she must be going through. And when she said this in the beginning of verse 14, it says she turned herself back. So she finds no satisfactory answer. Of course, she didn't really ask anything, did she? She doesn't even really converse with these guys. And finding nothing that satisfies her, she turns to leave these two behind. And I think it's amazing how that when we are in a very emotional state, we can miss so much. Sometimes we're in a desperate situation. We never comprehended what someone else was saying to us. We might hear the voices, but we're not really processing it and listening really close. And we end up missing the finer details of our circumstances because our minds are so absorbed with one thing and one thing only. Mary's in this kind of fog here at this point. She's so absorbed with where Jesus' body is at that she doesn't even stay to speak with these two who are sitting in the tomb. Are you getting the picture? Because I mean to tell you, if I was there that day, I would like to think that if I peeked back in and now this time I saw two dudes in there, I'd be like, where did y'all come from? (laughs) It's not normal just to hang out in a tomb unless you're the maniac of Gadara. And so I, th- I would like to think, hey, where, where did y'all come from? So she, she's just all emotionally stirred up here. And what we find, her false, and, and get this, this will kind of be a point here, her false presupposition that Jesus' body must have been stolen is causing her not to see anything else. And we're guilty of the same thing. We can be in our times of crisis and confusion, and we'll often jump to conclusions which are not true. And other voices will be talking at us, but we're not really getting anything. And I don't know if you've ever tried to comfort those in great distress, but no matter what, sometimes, no matter how much you try, you just can't get through to them. I mean, they are just a mess. And sadly, many will tune out God's word just as all of these initially did. We tune out other believers just as these men will do when the women come back and say, He's risen again. We tune out church because we're believing all these false presuppositions, we think they're all true. Listen, don't get so focused on the problem that you miss the Lord. Don't miss the truth that God loves you this morning. Don't give up on the Word, the brethren, and church gatherings in your times of distress. Because I want to tell you, sometimes God is working outside of your little paradigm. And God is doing things that we don't see. And God is capable of doing great things that we can't even imagine He's actually working on. It's not till after the fact many times. And in the second half of verse 14, Mary misses Jesus at first. She turned back. She saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And in verse 15, she supposes that He's the gardener. You might be wondering, how is it even possible for her to miss this? How could she possibly miss that Jesus is now standing before her? Well, I just thought of a few things here. Number one, she's looking for a dead body, not a living body. And to see a living body when you're looking for a dead body and not in grave clothes, you know, just something to think about. She's weeping. Her eyes are filled with tears. She's consumed with her thoughts and theories. And third, the Bible makes mention of how Jesus appeared in another form in Mark sixteen twelve. Well, that gets her off the hook right there. Amen. Not to mention how many of you have ever lost something that Well, let me put it this way. Any eyeglass wearers in here ever lose your eyeglasses just to find that they're on your head? On your head? <laughs> amen. Yeah, I've done that. Frantically looking for my glasses just to find that they're on my nose. I remember once I was leaving for church in a hurry and I was trying to find my Bible or my tablet, I can't remember which, and I'm scrambling around all over the place looking for this thing, and it's in my hand. <laughs> so let's not be too hard on Mary. Amen. <laughs> It happens to the best of us. But in supposing Jesus to be the gardener, we can see again how our presuppositions, they can lead us to perceive what isn't true. Are you getting that? Our false presuppositions can lead us to perceive what isn't true. And we can be guilty, and here's the thing, we can be guilty of only seeing what it is we think we should be seeing. I think I should be seeing a dead body. I think somebody has stolen him away. And now anything that doesn't fit into that little mold, it's not making sense. Well, I knew God didn't love me. Just look at my life. It's not true. But a false presupposition has led you to that conclusion. Well, I knew he wasn't going to meet this need. Not true. Give it more time. Well, I knew all churches are the same. It's not true. All you Christians are the same. Not true. No one cares for me. Not true. And Mary's presuppositions are blinding her at this moment. Jesus asked her the same question that the angels ask. Woman, why weepest thou? And some right here would have probably gotten frustrated. When more than one person asks you the exact same question or points out the exact same thing, some start to get very aggravated. And their problem is they refuse to see what others can see. And if some of us would have been married, we would have asked, why does everybody keep asking me that? Can't you see how desperate my situation is? Unfortunately, many will draw this conclusion. You just think you're holier than everybody else. Well, Jesus adds, whom seekest thou? If it wasn't so serious, it'd be funny. Amen. Jesus asking who she's seeking, knowing she's seeking for Him. Whom seekest thou? You ever pretended to to hear somebody, but inwardly you're really turning away from the counsel? It's all a false show. And you can ask all the questions you want answers to, but you aren't really listening. And even though the answer that you're seeking for may be right there in front of you. Jesus, who is the one she is seeking for, is standing right before her asking, Who are you seeking? And sometimes we are guilty of not even recognizing the Lord's presence through our difficult circumstances. Well, she's supposing Him to be the gardener, says... Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. It's almost as if she's saying, look, if if Jesus' body has been some kind of an inconvenience to you, I'll gladly take responsibility for it. I don't care what it's going to cost me. I'll take him off of your hands. It just moves your heart what Mary's going through here. Even though this is the body of a, a hated man, even though he's been beaten and crucified, I'll take him. I'll I'll care for his body. I'll take him with me. I'll do whatever it takes. I don't care if I'm ostracized. I don't care if I'm killed as a result. She's remaining loyal to her Lord. Well, she turned away from the two angels and she evidently had turned away from Jesus too. Because in verse 16, when Jesus calls her by name... She has to turn herself again towards Him. It says in verse 16, Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto Him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master or Teacher. She had a very common name, this woman, but she was not uncommon to Christ. Amen. 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 He evidently said her name in a way no one else could. And from speaking her name... Mary, she recognizes Jesus. You know, Jesus said in John 10, 3, He calleth His own sheep by name. And in John 10, 27 and 28, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of My hand. And upon hearing her name by her great shepherd, she turns and says, to Jesus rabboni master teacher hold your place here in John 20 would you go over to Isaiah chapter 30 for just a second and we'll come right back to John just want to read a verse here well several verses one passage Isaiah chapter 30 and as i read these verses i would ask you to think about what we've covered already concerning mary And this whole scene that we're watching unfold in John 20. In Isaiah 30, the Bible says, beginning in verse 18, And therefore will the Lord wait, that He may be gracious unto you. And therefore will He be exalted, that He may have mercy upon you. The Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for Him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner anymore. But thine eyes shall see thy teachers, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left." Isn't this amazing here? In verse 18, blessed are they that wait for Him. In verse 19, thou shalt weep no more. Don't you know Mary's weeping is about to stop? It goes on to say, He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When He shall hear it, He will answer thee. Mary in her cry, Jesus is going to answer her voice. Verse 20, although difficulties do take place in life, Yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner anymore, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers. Mary was going through a great difficulty, but her eyes now see her teacher. And in verse 21, it says here that thine ears shall hear a voice behind thee. Where did Mary hear the voice of Jesus? From behind her saying, Mary. And this voice is going to say, this is the way, walk ye in it. And don't you know Jesus is the way? the truth, and the life. Jesus, you can go back to John 20, but Jesus has now manifested Himself to Mary. He opened her ears to hear. He's opened her eyes to see. And He's manifested Himself or made Himself known to her. And Mary now sees her teacher. And look what it says in verse 17 of our text. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend Unto my father and your father, and to my God and your God. So, with the Lord now before her, she wants to take hold of him, maybe just out of pure excitement, maybe out of fear that he's gonna leave again. I don't know, but this is what she wanted all along to have fellowship with her Lord. But Jesus says, Touch me not. Now, it wasn't that Jesus was opposed to her touching him. You'll see in the other gospel accounts that the other two women will fall at Jesus' feet and they'll grab a hold of His feet. And Jesus is going to later say to Thomas, you can touch my hands and you can thrust your hand in my side. It's not that Jesus was against the touching, it's that Jesus had another mission for her to fulfill at this time. I believe the sense of Jesus' words here, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, simply mean this. I'm not going away yet. Now, I know this has led to a lot of of things being said here that are really kind of forced into the Scripture, but I think all Jesus is saying here is, I'm not going away yet. I need you to go tell my brethren. There's going to be other opportunities. You're not going to suffer again. But right now, go tell my brethren. And isn't it amazing that Jesus says, my brethren? And you've got to catch that because these little things start to to mean something here that I'll, I'll end with. And so, now He's saying, these are my brethren. Now that word touch, by the way, it has the idea of clinging. It means to attach oneself to. Not only did Jesus need her to go and tell the disciples, but listen, I want you to get this. He's beginning to show that there's going to be a new way of relationship between Jesus and His followers. And it's going to be one that's not going to involve physical attachments. She desired the physical presence of her Lord, but there's going to be a new truth now. God would soon come and indwell believers spiritually in the person of the Holy Ghost. And so Jesus says, "Go to my brethren and say unto them, "I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and listen to this, and to my God and your God." You know what Jesus is saying? What's true of me is now true of you. This is so precious here. He's saying, "Look, my father is going to be your Father." Amen. This is huge. The Bible prophesied of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 31 31-34. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and ride it in their hearts, and will be their God. They shall be My people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know Me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Hallelujah! The new covenant has been Confirmed. You say, what's taking place here? I don't understand all the Listen, Jesus is saying there's a new covenant that has now been instituted. My Father is your Father. My God is your God. I will live in you. Amen. This is amazing what's taking place here on resurrection morning. Christ is no longer to be sought upon this earth physically, but he now indwells every true child of God because we have become adopted into God's family. We have been declared righteous by the blood of Christ. Amen. And in verse 18, Mary, I know I got to hurry here, I'm going to hustle. In verse 18, Mary gets the privilege to announce that she has seen the Lord. Some have called her the first apostle to the apostles. God said the seed of the woman would bruise the head of Satan. A virgin woman brought the Savior into the world. A woman named Elizabeth would be the first to say to Mary, the mother of my Lord. It is a woman in Mary Magdalene who is the first person to proclaim that the Lord has risen from the dead. God has never looked down upon women. That's what the lie of the world will tell you. And guys, i got to tell you, it probably had to be a woman that Jesus first showed Himself to resurrected because us men probably would have just said, I knew He was going to resurrect the whole time. That's why I went to my house. I knew. I was fine. That's how us men are. Amen. So it probably had to be a woman for that reason alone. Amen. There's got to be a reason why she had the privilege to be the one to first see the risen Lord. There's probably a lot of things we could draw out of this, but I believe part of it is because Mary Magdala represents all of us. And I don't want you to miss that in closing. She represents every true believer. She was a lowly person with a common name, enslaved by Satan. Does that sound familiar to anybody yet? Lowly, common, lost. Before meeting Christ, she would have seemed hopeless. Is there anybody like that this morning? She had a terrible past. And you may be one here this morning that would say something like this, If people knew my past, you would know why God wouldn't want me. That's not true. Jesus loves you. And then, not fully understanding how Jesus could or would, she's delivered by the grace of God. And how many of us, before we were saved, would say, I don't understand why God would want to save me. I don't understand how He would. I don't understand how He could. And her life was radically different after her encounter with Jesus' mercy. And all of her errors this day that we've been looking at, they dissipate just as soon as Jesus opens her eyes and ears. And then she is sent on a mission by Jesus. And isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Amen. We're supposed to see ourselves as that one that's lowly and common and lost. Amen but somehow experienced the grace of God. And we may not understand why God would choose to do so, but He did. And God said, I love you. God saves you, and He reaches down, He pulls you out, He changes your life, and then He says, go and tell. We are to go and tell others. We are to announce glad tidings of great joy to the world. And Mary, she is a type of all who will hear the Lord's voice and be led by Him and I certainly don't have time to get into all that I wanted to, but when Mary goes to tell the disciples Jesus has risen, they don't believe her. And you know, sometimes as we go out into the world and we have to tell people about the risen Lord, you're going to have to just deal with some ridicule. You're going to have to deal with the doubters. You're going to have to deal with people who say, I don't believe you. You say, but those were people in the church. Yeah. Well, I think that person's loony. They lift up their hands when they sing. Maybe they're just a little bit closer. Mercy, you could hear a pin drop right now. Uh, And that's not even in my notes. The Holy Ghost wanted you to hear that. She kept going through the ridicule. Didn't matter what had happened to her. No amount of deniers could ever change that. She goes to the brethren. She boldly proclaimed what had happened to her. She openly identified with Christ and never let the naysayers deter you. Amen. So where you at in this today As I have to wind this down. Perhaps you're still in bondage to Satan and you need to be rescued by Christ. Perhaps you think your past is too bad to be used by God. Jesus will wash all your sins away. Amen. Perhaps you're allowing your circumstances to lead you to false presuppositions about God and the validity of His Word and the validity of the believers and... The necessity of church. Perhaps you're in a crisis and you're missing the Lord who has been there the whole time. And really what you need to do is just go back and look one more time. Get your eyes on the Lord. Don't let the crisis crowd out our Christ. Because God's trying to use the crisis to crowd you to Christ. Perhaps you're not proclaiming Christ as you know you should. Don't be ashamed of Christ. But boldly go and proclaim him to a lost and dying world. Amen. Let's pray.